Hello, and welcome to Need to Know, your weekly investment podcast brought to you by the experts at Coots. I'm Sarah Muir, and I'm joined as always by Coots CIO, Alan Higgins. Now, as we've mentioned on recent episodes of Need to Know, we are all very aware of the tragic events in the Middle East right now. Um, But we're going to leave discussion of geopolitics to those that are far more qualified than us. So each week on Need to Know, we look at the three things investors need to know, whether that's for the week ahead, um, as well as longer term trends. And also we get Alan to read some of the research so that we don't have to. Um, But before we get to the three things, um, Alan, now I sent you a little bit of homework last week. Have you have you done your homework? I believe so. It, w- it was because we were talking about the equity risk premium. God, that sounds dull, doesn't it? But yes. basically, how <laughs> how expensive or cheap are equities compared to bonds, principally? And I took yeah. people back to eighty seven when the numbers were like this: a ten year U.S. Treasury bond yield at ten percent and a PE yeah. ratio of twenty. Nice. You know, and a reminder: how does that compare today? Probably you know eighteen or something. PE ratio versus five. Okay, so five mm. is half then, obviously, yeah. unless my maths <laughs> degree is failing me. Um, no, I, so I think you're right. Extreme, but and I said equities did well, and you said something along mm. the lines to prove it. it. I did. I think it was. We're talking eighty-seven to ninety, aren't we? Yeah. So, yeah, so, then. so the show me the numbers. Crash was a big one. A minus thirty-five percent of it event. Event. So if I yeah. said to you, you start investing in nineteen eighty-seven. And three mm-hmm. years later, do you think you would have done well, average or poorly in equities, including well, the 35% crash? No, knowing you, I'm going to say I would have done well. Yeah, you, you know me too well now. Incredibly, <laughs> that 87 yeah. US equities were up 61%, 17% Goodness contract, me. In, including wow. a 37% mm. crash. Now, to be fair, it was a period of strong earnings growth, which, you know... I've clumsily called yeah. the truth okay. in equity investing. It was very. It was a period of very strong earning growth. Okay. But it just just goes to show where you've got to be careful in comparing a nominal asset, bonds, with a growth asset like equity. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely a valid comparison. Yeah. But I think almost the human brain is not. It finds it harder, including mine, by the way, <laughs> harder to come to terms with the growth element of equities and to a certain extent actually by the yeah. way um there was an had an interesting meeting with a lot of um property execs in uh, in the office the other day and we were talking about you know th- they agreed it's really underestimated what do i mean by property as a growth asset well mm. of course if you live in a your own property and or if you rent one out people will know the either the it's called the, in the states they call it the imputed rent the the, the rent you could have if you rent mm-hmm. out your house or if, if you're lucky enough to be a property investor, the actual rent you're receiving, it goes up. Rent yeah. goes up. Because yeah, it does. It never goes cost. down. Yeah, never. Never is a strong word. Very rarely. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, that's um, true. Sorry. So Very growth, rarely goes asset. down. It's a growth asset. Yeah. So, yeah, so 87 to 89, even though the equity risk premium got stretched to ridiculous levels and we had a 35% mm. crash, great time to be invested in equities. Okay, all right then. Um, and, and on the subject of talking about bonds, of course, um, before we get on to the sort of weakness in markets, which I've, I've already preempted what your first one is, um, but we, we, we're getting some slightly less bearish sort of thoughts on bonds at the moment, aren't we, from from some of the sort of key key movers in the market? Key movers, should we call them celebrities? Bill well, Gross and Bill Ackman. The, yes. the bond king, Bill Gross, isn't he? 
he is the Bond King, yeah. And to be fair, phenomenal career career managing Bond money, mm. so to be respected. Uh, Bill Ackman, to be fair, a phenomenal hedge fund manager. His normal world is equities, but you know, look, he's a mm. hedge fund manager, so he can go anywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. To be fair, they haven't gone long yet, so they were short the market. Right. We talked a lot about shorting the market. They were short the market, and they've covered their yeah. short. And that makes sense. I'm sure if I was clever, as clever as them to be short the market outright personally, I probably would cover as well because 5%, that does seem like a pretty handy return. It's not like uh, me when I was a young 21-year-old in 1987 seeing 10% and thinking, oh, this is fair yeah. 10% is great. <laughs> uh, no, but five is, is is a lot higher than we've seen for a long, long time. Yeah, and I guess what from what I saw from Bill Ackman, his his rationale was basically there's too much risk in the world to to continue to be bearish bonds. Fair, I mean I think that's fair. You know you you know geopolitically, economically, I think that's that's very fair. And uh, yeah, I mean um, no strong reason to be short. I accept that. Okay, all right then. Well, the three things then we need to know this week. Now, I'll say a preemptive because we're going to talk about weakness in markets, but what are the other two things? So, uh, a little bit current, but, you know, weakness in markets. So, those of you who pick up the podcast early, it's going to be in the middle of this 8% correction. So, let's talk about this weakness mm. in the market, what we think about it. Uh, yeah. The second part I want to talk about, again, uh, we have alluded to it, but a bit more depth on the nature of equity returns, you know, yeah. about surges, maybe as we're getting closer to the year end, talk about annual returns and the nature of annual yes. returns. And yeah. uh, I might bring in that old fraudster, Bernie Madoff, into that. Yes. Yeah, I think that was your other bit of homework, actually, from last week. Oh, was it? Was it? Was I promised? Was it homework? I think it was. I'm glad I think it was, yeah. So that's you good. write things down because, honestly, I, I find it hard to remember. You've got nothing to think about, Alan. All right, and what's the third one? Third one, I think I've changed my mind. You know, and... Um, <laughs> really? Yes, no, I've changed my mind. So so um, the great index versus passive, and mm. it's fair to say I'm fairly well known as a proponent for index investing in foods, right? You're, you're a big advocate of, of uh, index investing, Alan. I mean, you're a big advocate of equities, but as equities... Via an index fund, via yeah. a yeah. tracker fund. So, yeah, so you'll be my mind. Let's save it till the end. Let's not give all the secrets away. Okay. Yeah, let's go. I'll, I'll no, 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 no. There's a there's a little cliffhanger for you. Okay. Yeah. All right then. Well, let's kick off with weakness in markets. And as you said, we're in the middle of currently at the, at the time of recording about a sort of eight percent correction in in U.S. markets, aren't we? What? Um, I guess the question would be, is that cause for concern? What's causing that? So uh, your last question, what's causing that? This is the beauty of our Mm. business. I'm going to say it again. We only have theories. We can prove nothing, Sarah. We can prove absolutely nothing. But here goes, comes a theory. It's the Bill Ackman, Ackman, Bill Gross. It's bond deals. So look, um, we absolutely concede this rise in bond yields and interest rates in general has put pressure on equities. However, we say the risk premium is not so stretched like 1987, one, and two, bond yeah. yields aren't really high enough to completely completely undermine equities. But yeah, it's having an impact. And so 
our theory would be higher bonules having an impact here. Okay, so it's it's less about the geopolitics then. It's more about what's happening in markets, the technical things that's happening that's happening in markets. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I, I, look, we would think so because um, post the tragic events that we did see, uh, we did see the S and P five hundred, for example, rise a couple of percent, and and yeah. therefore. Um, geopolitics doesn't as at the time of writing doesn't the tragic events as you say we've seen in the middle middle east yeah politics doesn't seem to be the main factor it, it is really about pessimism pessimism and higher rates and a lot of things mm. we've said before and i'm related to that you mentioned we read the research so i've got merrill Lynch research not savita this time those of you who listened before we talked about savita okay. yeah as a rare she, she's bull. quite bullish isn't she he's a rare mm. bull and but actually yeah. this is this is Michael Hartner who does kind of the global research and he's one of the biggest bears, but he looks at things very fairly, which makes him so successful. He's got actually quite an interesting kind of contrarian indicator. It's called the bull bear mm. indicator. And okay. he's calling it, it gives it a contrarian buy right now. So he's calling for a buy. So if I, if I put it in how we talk about it, I think he's basically saying this is just one of your classic 10% corrections. And okay. um, which which well, happen pretty much every year, don't they? They they do. And just yeah, yeah, just looking at his so at, from these levels, I'm just looking at his research now. There looks like about 20 of them of these bull signals. And it looks like about um 15 out of 20 works, some spectacularly. And the the the, the three-month median return, as opposed to average, the median return is about eight percent. Mm. So you normally okay. do see a big bounce, and um, but you know what it was it based on? Um, it's mainly based on outflows. So the way he looks at it is that when you see outflows from equities, um, mm. sector by sector, he takes that yeah. as a bullish sign. He sees it as investors selling too late, um, and and it's it's, it's, a, it's a trading rule. Um, the other symbol in there is in their Bank of America, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch survey. Investors like ourselves have too much in cash. That's another yeah. component. So he's got various components in there. And other people, other firms do this kind of indicator. City do it pretty well. But it's just I just think it's very interesting. It's come out as a, a, a tactical buy. And um, yeah, that looks right. For me, this looks like a classic 10 percent which we see nearly mm. every year, not every year, but nearly every year. Yeah. And we've already had one this year, haven't we? Well, not it wasn't quite 10%, was it? We had was another 8% one earlier in the year, didn't we? Yeah, we had another kind of virtual 8% March this year. Again, a very pessimistic mm. scenario. Interestingly, that time it was all about recession coming. If you remember earlier this year, it was all about, oh my yes. God, inverted curve yeah. recession well, coming. Now it's yeah. more about um, how we're going to deal with inflation. Now it's all about, oh, my God, the economy is still strong. How high how, yeah. how high will interest rates go? So it goes to show two different 8% corrections this year. Yeah. And do you think this has got, I mean, do you think, would, would Michael Burry have been looking at this? I mean, we're back to our friend Michael Burry again in his big short. But would this have been what he was thinking about possibly with that short that he, he had in place? Point, yeah. So, earlier, so a couple of months ago? 1.6 billion short position nominal at least expressed in in futures etc um mm. 
is this enough for him? I don't think it's enough for him. Some of his mm-hmm. positions may have got its way, but this is the tricky thing when you do this in options. When you do this in options in particular, you pay up premium and it really eats into return. Okay. So you, you kind of mm. need the market to fall biggish. I think he's probably hoping for more, something more like minus 20. He may get it. Minus 20% mm. do happen. Again, they're rare. Uh, my sense, you know, my money would be on Bank of America, contrarian buy signal. It's, it's got a fairly good track record. It's not perfect. Nothing is, of course, in finance. Mm. But I think um, no. and for, it, for what it's worth, uh, because, you know, when the Coots tactical team do agree with what we say, I think it is worth, you know, we try to be more general on that. But for what it's worth, the Coots tactical team at the time of writing do completely mm. agree with it and buy into this as a, as, as more of a of option. Okay. So we're, see, we're seeing this correction then to sort of summarise. We've had, we're so far at the moment, we're about sort of 8% correction in US markets. That from what Michael Hartnett's sort of observing, um, that's a sort of a bull signal. And it's possibly an opportunity to sort of go back into markets. Is that fair? Is that a fair summary? Simple as that. Yeah, it is, it is, I, I agree. Yeah, simple as that. Yeah. Okay. All right, then. Well, let's move on to our, our next one, then, which is on staying on the subject, obviously, of, of, of equities. But equity, the nature of equity returns and this kind of annualized returns and what's normal and perhaps the difference between average and, and actual, because there's a bit of a there's a bit of a difference there, isn't there? Could be a bit misleading. There is. I think it's really important for uh, for clients to to come to terms with because once you come to terms with it and expect it, so 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 big picture, and this is the US, but it's actually similar for the UK. I know people think the UK has been a disastrous uh, market. Certainly, the FTSE 100 has been poor for the last ten to fifteen years, maybe even longer. But actually, in the long run, it has equal the S&P 500. And I think I've mentioned the FTSE 250 before, Sarah, mm. the next 250. That has yeah. rivaled the S&P 500. So anyway, the numbers are like this, and I'm going to round them just to make it kind of easier to comprehend. Since 1926, mm. we're human, yeah. we think in calendar years. What happens? Okay, uh, I'll do it in, you know, basically three out of 10 years, you should have a negative return. Historically, not you should, you, you have had. You've had a negative you return. You will get, yeah, yeah. or you have had, yeah. Okay, just like last year. So, you know, yes. on average, three out of 10 years, okay? However, six out of 10 years, the market is up big. I Big means more okay. than 10%. More than 10%. Okay. More than 10%. Is it really, that, is it really that often? That seems yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Because we forget about it. We forget about the good years. There was a famous survey done about 2009, when the market was up about 20%. But that was the recovery from the financial crisis. Have I mentioned this before? I can't remember I have. If I, if I, have, I think you may have done. Yeah, okay. Nevertheless, we have to come to the podcast. Anyway, <laughs> the key point is, people, you, your, your average person in the street in the United States, who are much more sophisticated about investing, I'm afraid to say, than people in the UK in general, they thought mm. it was a terrible year for the stock market. Because they had memories of the financial crisis. Yes. But actually, the year was a 20% year. So, yes, six out of 10 is are really good years. And only mm. one out of 10 is a zero to 10% year when we're up, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine percent. We're up about 10% year to date. So we're kind of on the on the on the threshold of that. Yeah. So um 
it's and nevertheless the market annualizes at nine but almost never makes yeah. nine yeah but we'll look, and you know who took advantage no the fact that people don't like that well firstly investors generally hate it hate it they hate that profile mm. if you talk to an average investor and say like yeah three, three years out of ten you're gonna be down what Okay, but six, yeah. six out of ten, you're going to be up bigger. Okay, fine, but three out of ten, I'm going to be down, and only one year out of ten, you're going to make a normal type return. That's horrible, I say, but that's life. In contrast, fraud, mm. uh, Bernie Madoff took advantage of that, and I and I, uh, there's been a fair few Netflix shows about it, but I do remember. I mean, it's a real tragedy because it destroyed some some very you know important charities, but his. Yeah. Was I've got the returns right in front of me here. I've got his monthly returns from December. Mm. This is a different period, December 91 to December 07. Two of them add off. So, so the SP 500 made nine percent of that period, so not quite nine and a half, nine. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, with a lot of volatility, including the massive crash of 2000 2002, but nine percent compound. Bernie Madoff also mm. made nine percent. But Sarah, I That's think right. we're sharing the graph. What, what if I if I asked you to describe the Bernie Madoff performance chart? How would you describe it? I would say it was a sort of straight line going at sort of forty-five degrees, just yeah, yeah. continuous. So no ups and downs. Exactly. Virtually every month was 0 0.8, 0 0.9, and it's for example, just to throw out some years, two thousand and two was one of these down years, mm. minus twenty-two percent. Madoff plus nine and rounding. Okay. And 2003, just to give the, the other side of it, um, plus 29%. Madoff plus eight. And that's why Madoff raised so, so much money because he yeah. didn't look like he was getting any more than the SP 500. But yeah. people were greedy for the lack of volatility. There's a different yeah. type but of greed. Yeah, I was going to say, because they weren't greedy for returns, because you're not getting, you weren't getting more in theory from Bernie Madoff's fund than you would get if you invested in the S&P. But did, did no one stop? Well, I suppose they did right at the end and go, hang on, how can the S&P be down 20% yet this fund is down, you know, hardly at all? I didn't, it, it wasn't until right at the end, was it, that people started to look at it and go, hang on a minute, this doesn't make sense. Well, what's he doing? Well, there was a couple of that's people. allowing him to beat the market. There's a couple of people who spotted it, um, including. Do you remember our old friend Ed Thorpe, who made that great money, the guy, the blackjack um, card counter, and great yes, yeah, yeah. So um, he spotted it, and there mm. was uh, someone called I'm going to Harry Markopolis, who spotted it and even wrote letters to the SEC very early, and mm. they ignored him. Um, so a couple of people did. I have to say, I didn't. And the story was, obviously, he's not doing conventional equity investing. The story was he mm. was doing something very, very interesting in, in options. You know, I, I, I will maybe at a different stage, I'll come back to the exact detail uh, because mm. it's, it is complex. It, it's, it's actually not that complex, but nevertheless, as soon as you go into options, we're going to. It's going to sound complex. And the kind of yeah. idea was that because he was also a market maker, 
okay, mm. as well as the hedgehog manager, he had amazing flow and he could make money from amazing flow. That was the belief. And to be fair, it wasn't just charities and individuals. Mm. Some of the most prestigious managers of hedge funds in the world, especially the ones based in Switzerland, got completely mm. caught out with some of the smartest okay. due diligence people you could, you could find. So they wow. no shame. But the point being, going back to my starting point, Madoff is not real, yeah. obviously, but it's, it is yeah. psychologically what people want. But come to terms with the nature of equity investing. Uh, in in you know what Warren Buffett you know ha- kind of has a phrase in the long in the long run it's all about kind of weighing it and the tr- you know, the truth comes out the truth of owning mm. a good company your multiple good companies or the index will come out in the short run just accept the volatility that's the nature of yeah that that's unfortunately the penalty for being liquid private equity doesn't yeah. have the price of entry hmm? yeah. Yeah, it's the price, it's the of, price entry, of entry, isn't it? It's the price of entry, yeah. You, you know it's real, that's about it. I have actually yeah. said that to and I, when they're down 7%, I speak, say, well, at least you know it's real when I, when, I, when Madoff has come up. So it's, I guess, yeah, so what, what, what perhaps investors need to get away from is fixating on the sort of annualised return and accept that that's an average and they're never going to, or very, well, as you said, one year out of 10, if, if their annualised return is 9%, there's only going to be one year out of 10 when they're probably going to get something like they might get 9%. Three, three years out of 10, they'll be negative. Yeah. And But actually, what I find incredible is that six years out of 10, more than half of the time, they will finish more than 10% up. Yeah, I mean, some of those numbers are only 10, 11, 12, to be fair. Uh, yeah. We're but, not talking 30% but, but or something. A lot of them are big, you know, just looking, you know, you know, just, just looking here. I mean, the ni- late 1990s was ridiculous. Okay, that was a bubble. Um, you know, 2006 up 16%. I mean, sorry, I've only got the mad off returns for me. But yeah, you get you do get big years. Mm. Okay, right then. So it's, it, it's understanding then the nature of equity returns, being comfortable with that, that sort of those up years, the down years as well as the up years. You've got to take the rough with the smooth with you invest in equities. And um, and just understanding that, um, well, as I say, most of the time you're going to do fine, but there are going to be those years when you are in negative territory. Okay, so that's the nature of equity returns. Last bit then was about you, you're changing your mind about index investing. Are you are you really changing your mind about index investing? Yeah, I I, I am. Look, so super long term, no, um, hmm. but it's become so extreme. I can see yeah. multiple years now where the, the, the major indices can outperform. Uh, and uh, to put that in context, the index has been a superstar. And when we started the Coots Multi-Asset Fund in, in 2012, we absolutely embraced mm. index investing. That's kind of the way we did it. Yeah. We did invest in active funds as well. We absolutely embraced index investing as, as part of our strategy. But now, look... Um, why? Well, actually, look. let's look at the data. Over five years, for example, 75% of active managers underperform in the United States. If you go over yeah. 10 years, it's closer to 90. Almost no one does. This year wow. is a terrible year for active. Yeah. Is, is that because of the Magnificent Seven? I mean, well, obviously that this wasn't year, the case year, perhaps five yeah. years ago, but this year it's about the Magnificent Seven, isn't it? This year it is. Um, and... and um, yeah, but but other years, one, it's a difficult job. 
Okay. It's a difficult job. And yeah. it does seem that a small number of stocks, and we have talked about this. You remember that guy from um, that professor from Arizona we went into? Um, who's, who's Remind done me. Search about only a small number of stocks, stocks drive the market. Uh, yes. My brain's faded. Professor Hendrik. Benis, Benis Mind or something like that. It's done some amazing research. Okay. Google it, you'll find it. Anyway, so there's that. So, so, so it, it's been tough, but it, 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 I, this is why I think I'm changing my mind. One, uh, the top seven stocks in the US now make up 30% of the benchmark, way yeah. more than 2,000. Okay, so that's 500 stocks, but the top seven are at 30 Okay, so the UK, we've got only 100 stocks on our FTSE 100. Well, the top seven are at 40%. That's also on the high side. But look at that. Seven make 30. There's 493 left over, obviously, you know, whereas Mm. in the the FTSE 100, it's kind of 96. And I'm giving maths right, 93 versus seven. It's a different order. So this concentration, the expensiveness of these stocks, these Mm. the Magnificent Seven and Berkshire Hathaway that's in there as well, uh, and mm. the video is just on the outside and you can call it the top eight if you like very very expensive and then my contrarian indicator in insects took over there's two articles that have come out one amazing yes. one in the wall street journal i don't know how they've done it but the so-called dumb money is actually outperformed uh, well that, that was what i was going to say i read a little bit about that yes yeah, so you, you were talking about how difficult it is for uh you know, active managers, but it apparently is not so difficult for retail investors. Yeah, and by dumb money, I don't mean the, the meme stock that we talked about before. We're talking about just no. your average retail investor in the United States. This firm, I think it's called Van Das Research, have somehow mm. got some performance numbers. I'm going to have a closer look to verify. Um, but it has some. Tr- it has a ring of truth in it. Why? Well, individual investors, what do they buy? Apple, Amazon, Tesla. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Johnson yeah. Johnson, maybe JP Morgan. They buy the big stocks. They've all performed tremendously. And the work shows amazingly that the average US investor, individual investor, is up 15% compound, which is incredible. Whereas, in contrast, the professional investor is suffering. And then we saw a great article um, in Bloomberg Research I shared with you. Yes, about, you did. Yeah. You know, how Aberdeen and Vesco. Jupiter, even the mighty Schroders in this country and in the States, Invesco suffering so badly mm. um, from this. And and what really piqued my, my contrarian indicators, it, 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 contrarian indicators inside me was Aberdeen mm. almost, um, almost saying we no longer compete in mainstream global equity and mainstream US equity. We've almost so given up. Everything is... Everything is index investing. Yeah, it's almost given up on on trying to compete in that space. And I thought it's gone. The combination of the magnificent seven dominance, all mm. the flows going into index, or zero flows, almost zero flows into active. And mm. yeah, I, I'm you know I don't know for how long. And hey, look, I'm an investor, so I've been wrong many times before. When I but when I put all this together, you know, I really do think it's time for active now. And um, look, um, as for how we manage money at Coots, you know, talk to your talk to your your banker about that, and that's you know a different matter. Mm. This is for the podcast, 
And this is my, uh, these days I advise, as you know, Sarah, I advise and mentor the investment team. Yeah. And this is the advice and mentoring I'm going to be giving them. I'm going to tell them, yeah. in my view, it's time for active. So we've basically, we've reached peak passive investing and it's time now to, to look at active again. No, maybe we're not going to throw the baby out of the bathwater. We're still going to keep passive. And we're not saying passive is going to disappear, but we're just saying that maybe investors should start thinking about active investing again. Yeah, a bold call to, to, to say it's, it's peak, I don't know. And for how many years, I don't know. You know, if you like, if you're asking me, Alan, are you ever going to buy an, an index fund again in your life? I'm like, is that it for you that you're done with this? No, no, I'm yeah. sure I'm going to come back. And yeah. I should say, just to get the other side of the story, a bit of, we like to give a bit of a book recommendation, don't we? Yeah, we do. So I have mentioned it before, but it was in the very early days of the podcast, a book called Trillions by Robert Wigglesworth, an FT journalist, a brilliant book about how passive investing started and how it really boomed after the financial crisis and has been absolutely dominant. And, you know, lots of great stories about the likes of Vanguard, the BlackRock story, how it all started with Wells Fargo. So really interesting read. Mm. Uh, and look, but uh, that's a, I, you know, I've read that cover to cover, but let's, you know, let's take this date. What's the date? 24th of October. Um, yes. Higgins says go active and we'll mark, okay. mark me to market, put it in your notes because you know I will forget. You know, like any convenience. Oh, I'll remember. Don't worry, I'll remember. Essentially, did you say, because we were talking before, it's index investing has been around for what? We're talking about 10 years, something like that? 10, 12 years? You no, know, 10 years. Or longer than that. It's been around since the 1970s, but it just didn't take off. Okay. People didn't believe okay. it. You know, if you trying to remember, I think Wells Fargo was one of the firms that really started it. And then Vanguard. Right, okay came out of, um, split out of Wellington Asset Management. Um, hmm. Okay, by the end of 1977, there was about 2.9 billion of money in index strategies. Only 2.9 billion in 1977. So it was okay. around, but um, one, it was somewhat expensive. I guess didn't have the computer technology to make it super easy like now. And two, hmm. people just didn't believe in it. People believed in active management. Now it's the other way around. Virtually no one believes in active management, including the active managers. Yeah. So let's see. <laughs> you know, it's great making these bold predictions because, you know, um, if I'm wrong, only you will remember. Well, actually, some of our clients yeah. are keen to remind me. Of things they, <laughs> you know, they will definitely remember. They'll pick you up. Yeah. Next next client dinner, they'll be picking that up with you. Okay. So we're saying then essentially, yeah, there's, you know, the, the dominance of, of passive investing has sort of grown over the last 10 years, but maybe we might be reaching sort of peak um, sort of index investing. Could we be starting to see a resurgence in active investing again, or sort of the, yeah, more interest in, in, in active managers again? We'll have, to, we'll have to wait and see, but that's certainly something that Alan is calling. We'll keep an eye. We'll keep an eye on that one. If we see anything more that uh, can prove him right or wrong, we'll um, we'll make sure we bring that to you. All right. Thank you very much, Alan. Uh, a reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are not intended to constitute investment advice, are accurate at the time of recording, and are subject to change. Thank you very much, Alan, for joining me today. Don't forget to check out the podcast page on coots.com, and of course, hopefully, you're already a subscriber to the podcast via wherever you get your podcast from. Um, we've got a couple of episodes coming up, which should be going up sort of on online fairly soon. 
We've got one on investor psychology. And next week, we're going to be talking to Howard Sparks, who's our US equities expert, all about US earnings season. Lots to talk about there. How are the banks doing? How are the so what what are the tech firms doing? What we what we've heard so far, you know, and what and also more importantly, what's the forward guidance for next year? So we've got that to look forward to. Uh, until the next need to know, bye for now.